hey, touch the person next to you and say, together. Because we're in a series, our second part of our series called Doing Life Together. And, uh, and I thought today it might be um, a little interesting for you. We're actually going to dive into supernatural conflict resolution. Well, you know, Obujo, he had some conflicts. See, back in high school, uh, he got all sideways with Clarence. It was, uh, it, was, it was the prom night of their senior year. They got sideways with each other. And, man, I tell you, from that point forward, Bujo, he has a tendency to have hatred in his heart. And so, man, he never talked to Clarence again. He ended up getting married. And Clarence ended up moving across the bayou from Bujo. And Bujo told his wife every day, boy, if I ever see that boy Clarence, I'm going to pop him right in his nose. I can't stand old Clarence. Day in and day out, all she heard, all this kind of stuff, Clarence was and how bad Clarence did him wrong on their, on their prom night, blah, 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 all this kind of of stuff. Well, wouldn't you know it? Lo and behold, the state of Louisiana decided to build a bridge right on across that bayou. And guess where they started it? Right there. They started it at Boudreaux's house all the way across to, to, to Clarence's house. Boudreaux kept saying, I tell you right now, the moment that they finish that bridge, I'm going to march over there. I'm going to walk up to Clarence, knock on the door. He's going to come to the door. I'm going to pop him right in the nose and I'm going to come right on back. And, and Marie was like, well, we'll see. We'll see. Boy, they finished that bridge. The day they finished, Boudreaux got on his best overalls. He went marching across that bridge. He wasn't gone three minutes and all of a sudden he came right on back. And Marie said, well, what happened? He said, well, I was halfway across the bridge when there was this giant green sign and it said, Clarence, 10 foot, 8 inches. I decided I better come on back home because that's a big old boy. Some of you guys will get that while I'm preaching here about 10 minutes from now. When we started into this series, our premise was doing life together. Our premise last week, and if you didn't get to be a part of the message, go back and listen to it on the website or watch the podcast of it, the video piece of it. But I was teaching you that God created us to do this thing called Christianity together, that it doesn't work by ourselves. Everybody thinks it does. Everybody wants to extract themselves. I love God. I just don't love church. I, I love God, but I don't want to be around Christians because, you know, they don't, they don't always do me right and things like that. Well, actually, you're breaking the mold in which God made you. In fact, it doesn't work by ourselves. In fact, God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God himself exists in communion with three other parts. God himself has a community, if you will. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And according to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, and, and he says it like this, let us make, would you give him that scripture form? There you go. Let us make man in our own image. So God made us in his image to have need for communion. We have inside of us the need to do life together. And many times it's very difficult. In fact, last week we told you the benefits of doing life together. Today we're going to jump into, as the church, as a couple who's married, as a family unit, as going to work with other people, how do we get through conflict? How do we get through conflict? In fact, we've titled the, the subtitle of this portion is Supernatural Conflict Resolution. And we've got a key scripture here found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. We're going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It's not my favorite translation, but it works for this passage really well. It really captures the heart of this passage. And uh, verse 24 and chapter 2 of 2 Timothy says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Let's just all admit right now, we're not going to heaven. I can tell you that right now. Patient with difficult people. <laughs> Says the servant of the Lord, those of us that call ourselves Christians, those of us that love God, that we must not be quarrelsome, that we must not fight and bicker and spit, and, but be kind to everyone. And, then we, and, as, and by doing that, we've got to be able to teach other people. See, teaching is not lecturing. Teaching is follow me as I follow Christ. Let me show you how to do that. He's saying, if we're going to be a follower of Christ, if we're God's servant, then we must be patient with difficult people. Frank, can I just tell you something? There are difficult people sitting next to you, sitting around you. There are difficult people, and they are you. And so as we jump into this today, let me just give you, there are three, excuse me, four stages to every relationship. There are four stages to relationships. Are you ready? Write these down. They'll really help you. The first stage in a relationship, number one, is the honeymoon stage. Woo! Anybody newlyweds in the room, been married less than two years? We'll call that newlyweds. Anyone newlyweds? See, there, look, see how they're still smiling and grinning? Look at them. Look at them, still smiling and grinning. Anybody been married more than 35, 40 years? Raise your hand. Look at that. Look at that wisdom. They ain't smiling and grinning, but they still here. Come on, somebody. Just kidding. 
Just kidding. There's this thing that we call, uh, that psychologists call the honeymoon stage. You first came to church on the hill. This was the greatest church ever. I love it. Three weeks into it, you're like, I can't stand them people. Didn't like the latte. Passed out and yelled and spit and ran around. When I first did it, it was, it was cool. But now the honeymoon is over. Some of you know what I'm talking about on the honeymoon. You, had, you didn't even make it six hours into your honeymoon and you were already hating each other. You already hit conflict. And so the second stage in any relationship is after the honeymoon stage is the conflict stage. Anybody know about the conflict stage? Let me say amen, 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 amen. So conflict stage is inevitable. It's inevitable. Once the newness wears off, once it's not cool and hip and sexy anymore, once you just kind of try to get into a rhythm, you, you end up in what we call conflict stage. And can I just be honest with you? This is where most relationships stop. Most people quit right here. They quit on the marriage right here. They never go past it. There are two more stages, but most people never go past it. They quit their church the moment they get into conflict because they think that relationships are always supposed to be honeymoon. Well, here's the problem. There is no perfect relationship. And if there was, the moment you entered into it, it would no longer be perfect. There's no, that's, life is about imperfect people coming together and trying to figure out how to do it. And this is the breakdown. And most churches never teach how to get through conflict stage. Once you learn to fight through conflict stage, the third stage that happens in a relationship is the bonding stage. You bond. So you can't really bond until you've been through something together. You don't, listen, you might like this church and like us, but we haven't offended you yet. You keep coming and decide, you know what, I'm going to love y'all. Ooh, even though you sat in my chair, my Lord, I've been sitting there for three weeks. And you didn't come and sit up in my chair. Oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. And if you'll fight through that conflict, then what will happen is bonding. That's why some of you won't connect with a small group. Because you're like, mm-mm, because I know there's going to be sparks. I know that I'm going to say something and somebody's going to tell on me. And next thing I know, I'm going to be having to just smack everybody. And the reason why is because no one's ever taught you how to walk through conflict the biblical way. Conflict is inevitable. But if you'll fight through it, then you'll bond. And then there's the fourth stage in relationships. After you've bonded, really bonded, and that's what we call the production stage where you actually start producing something. So I don't know if you know anything about corporate America these days, but corporate America, most companies won't even hire you without sending you through six, 65 personality profiles, the how you do it, this, and it's all these psych tests. And the reason why is because corporate America has figured out that there is a team of people working, and when they lose someone and they've got to bring someone else into that, that the mix of that personality could throw the whole thing off. They recognize that they're going to come in and everyone's going to like them at first. Then there's going to be conflict. Then, they, then, it, then most people, dis, it disrupts the whole thing and everybody quits. So corporate America now makes you do all these psych evaluations. And the reason why is because they want to know, can we fit you into this spot before you disrupt our team? Before we get into a scenario where we've got to fire you or get rid of you or something else, we want to know, do you fit? Are you a big foot? Are you an ankle? Are you an arm? We want to know what you are, not what you say you are in your resume. What are you really? Because we need to know if you'll fit in here. And the reason why they do all that now is because they have come to the understanding that these relationship stages are real and that they want to get as quickly as they can to productivity, but they know they got to go through conflict to get to bonding to get to productivity. So they're trying to speed all that up in the forefront so that they don't have to deal with it once they're paying you 80 grand a year. And so the same thing has happened in any other relationship, but it seems to me that the church has some crazy issue where the most segregated... We're the, we're the least at knowing how to fight through conflict, yet corporate America has figured it out. Friend, it's time for the church to be the church. And we've got to get past our fear of conflict and learn how to do it the Jesus way. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. And so the way God does things is not our ways. In fact, the Bible says it like this. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. So today I'm going to teach you throughout Scripture God's way of conflict resolution. Now, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. It's not going to come natural. See, what's natural for you and I when we get in conflict is a couple of different things. It's natural for us, fight or flight. That's natural for us. That's a natural tendency. What's natural for us when we get in conflict is to make you pay for what you've done wrong. That's natural. What's natural for us when we get in conflict is to blame it on everybody else and not blame it on ourselves to make us look good so that we can continue being promoted. 
But these are all anti-God's ways. It goes against God's ways, if you will, of conflict resolution. In fact, his ways are going to be so foreign to what's natural in you that it's going to take a while. And I'd like to illustrate that. By, uh, by, uh, yeah, bring, bring my little piece out. Anybody in here kind of athletic? Is there any men in the room that would help me out? I'd like to get somebody to help me throw uh, a couple balls through this little, this little uh, thing right here. Come on, Paul. Let's get you up here, Paul. Give Paul a hand as he comes. Turn it sideways. Hand those to Paul. Turn them this way. All right. So what I love about this, so, so I, you know, you remember the uh, football through the tire thing? Wasn't that so cool when you were a kid? They don't do that anymore. And uh, my wife was like, won't you hang a football uh, a tire from the ceiling? I was like, that's okay. I found this little guy right here. So Paul, this is Paul's in. Everybody say, hey, Paul. Paul, so are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. All right, come stand up here. So Paul, here's what I want you to do. Stand over here close to it, Josiah, so you can pick it up what, what, when he misses it, if he misses it. All right, so. So, Paul, what I want you to do is see how many times you can throw it through that hole right there. Wait, 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 wait. Let's back you up. This is way too close, son. What's wrong with you? So, you, you played baseball in high school, right? You played golf in high school. Okay, so you have no idea how to be athletic. That's okay. We love you. Thank you so much. All right. You're a great example. All right, so throw that. Let's see if you can get it through. Let's see how many you can get through the hole. Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. That's one. At least you hit the thing. Oh, that, 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 was, that was weak. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to just tell you straight up. That was weak. All right, at least you hit it. Come on, let's keep trying. Can you get one through there? Look at Josiah jumping off the stage. Superman, come on. Ant-Man, right there. All right, come on. Oh! Oh for 6. Oh for 7. I think I asked for anyone athletic. I think it's what I'd ask for. I just want to throw that in there, Paul. I just want to say. Oh, come on. Paul, everyone's hoping for you right now, man. I'm telling you. Here, 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 here. I got this. There you go. Yeah! All right, that's what we had you two for. Come on, let's see how many you can get in a row. That's one. Get a little closer. Get a little closer. All right, let's see how many you can get in a row. There you go. There we go. Come on, let's see. Two, three. You could have just done that. I mean, that close. All right, that was really good. Now back up for me just a little bit. So you're right-handed. Right-handed. Let's see you throw it left-handed. Oh, Lord. Let's see if you can even hit it. Are you sure you're right-handed? Because uh, you actually hit it with your left hand. Oh. Are you ambidextrous? Okay. We'll give you one more try. Paul, please get one. My God, please just get one. So, hey, at the State Fair, have you ever won anything? Not doing this. There are no stuffed animals at his house. I'm going to just tell you that right now. All right, come stand with me. Come on, give Paul a hand. Now, listen. So, so how much, thank you for being a good sport, by the way, let me pick on you. Um, so how much more difficult was it left-handed? Definitely more difficult. Completely, right? So, so right-handed, you had this natural miss, I mean, it was natural, but it was, it was okay. but left-handed, you were like, <laughs> miss, right? And, you know, Miss Jamie is left-handed, and last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, when she had, when she got burned on that side, it was amazing, she couldn't use her natural hand. And so to watch her try to eat was hilarious because she would try to do it with her right hand and she's like, and that kind of thing. And finally, I was like, baby, would you like me to help you get your cereal in your mouth? She's like, would you please? <laughs> and if anyone who knows what I'm talking about, if, 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 if I set Paul, now I would have to first practice Paul right-handed for a little bit. But if I, if I, took, if I took Paul for a week, and every day for a week, even though it was unnatural to him, left-handed, let him throw it, let, let him throw it, let it. At some point, he would develop that skill set, right? And he would be able to make it in probably almost every time with his left hand. In fact, in, in high school, I played basketball, and one of the great coaches that I had said, listen, you're, you keep driving right-handed uh, as a point guard. You need to be able to go left-handed. So he forced me to practice left-handed for two months until I got strong enough with my left hand that I could drive left-handed and shoot left-handed. And that, and that made me a double threat in that capacity. What happens is we have a tendency to use our natural ability. So when it comes to conflict, we use our natural pieces, manipulation, getting everybody on our team to go get them because they did wrong, being able to be more intelligent than them. And so, sweetheart, the moment he opens his mouth, you blast him with information. He's like, oh, I can't fight that. And that's our natural tendency. But what I want to teach you today, thank you, Paul. What I want to teach you today, what I want to teach you today is how to do what's not natural, but what is supernatural. So a lot of what we have is conflict in the church, and I hear people all the time tell me, oh, the church hurt me, oh, the church uh, didn't do me right. Most of that really is the result of you not knowing how to do conflict properly. 
Because at the end of the day, it's inevitable. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's inevitable. Because the person sitting next to you, you've already had conflict with at some point, probably on the drive over or in the parking lot. And so what we have to learn is the supernatural way of conflict resolution that God himself offers to us in his holy scripture. And what I have found is that a lot of people don't want to do it God's way, so they keep bringing their natural sin nature conflict resolution into the church, and they don't understand why it's not working. And it's not working because it's not his way. But if you what will happen is we'll become, I know it's awkward, and we feel like, like real weird. If we'll learn his way, what will happen is we'll become supernatural in conflict resolution, and it's critical for us to do life together. We cannot do life together without conflict resolution because at the end of the day, I'm going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt me because we're running next to each other. Jamie, all the time in worship, she'll scoot over. I'm like, why are you keep scooting over? She goes, when you're worshiping, you hit me. I said, well, if you'd be worshiping too, you might not feel it as much. And she's like, shut up. She's like, shut up. But I bump her. Why do I bump her? Not on purpose. I'm not trying to hurt her. But she gets an elbow to the shoulder. She's like, I'm tender. Stop. But as I'm on my journey, I bump the person next to me all the time. Are you with me? We're going to bump into each other. We've got to learn how to work that thing out or we'll never be able to do life together. And that's why some of you have bounced from church to church, small group to small group, marriage to marriage, and job to job. So let's, let's learn God's way today, and it should help you. Now, I'm going to take what should be about a six-week series and can put it into the next 25 minutes. So you got to listen fast. All my internationals are always like, you talk so fast. You drive me insane. I can't understand what you say. And so I'm going to do my best to slow it down, but we got to get through a lot of material. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, do you love me? Say yay. Go, pastor. All right. Here's the first guiding biblical principle that God himself laid out. It's the bedrock for conflict resolution. Number one is love. This is his bedrock. He starts there. It's amazing when you and I love each other how much easy it is to get through conflict, okay? And here's the problem with love. Many of you see it as a feeling or an emotion. It's actually an action word. Love is actually, it's a decision, a conscious decision to love. My wife makes a conscious decision every morning when she wakes up and looks at me, I will love this man, Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to love him, you know, I want to kill him. She makes a conscious decision to love Jesus said it like this when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God. And then he said, what? Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So this is where conflict never gets off the ground because we don't love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. See, when you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, then in other words, you want them to get the benefit of the doubt just like you want everybody to give you the benefit of the doubt. When you love your wife, when you love your husband, when you love your small group folks as much as you love yourself, then you have more grace and mercy on things. Why? Because you love them. It makes no sense to me that we would be so harsh with one another when we're supposed to be loving one another. So God lays it out. In fact, he says it like this. Jesus says it like this in the book of John chapter 13. He says, the whole world will know that you belong to me because of what? Anybody know? The way you love one another. He says, the way you love one another. So the reason why the world's not saved is because the church doesn't love each other properly. Because if we would love each other properly, everyone in the world would go, I want that. But instead they look and go, wait a minute, y'all have more gossip, more slander, more, more racism in the church. I don't want to be a part of that. Because we haven't figured out conflict resolution. We haven't figured out the base of conflict resolution, which is to love. And really, because we don't know what love is, God had to put a whole chapter about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to extract just a little piece so I can help you define what love is. Love is not sex. Love is not an emotion. Love is not attraction. You can be attracted to things that you're not even supposed to love. Just because you're attracted to it doesn't mean that's for you. If that's the case, you're going to chase after every woman that gets you a little feeling going on. That doesn't mean that's supposed to be your wife or that you're supposed to have a sexual relationship with them. Any of those things. Love, as God lays it out in the truest form, says it like this in verse 4 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. That's what it is. It's patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. That's why, that's why listen, I will, I will, I, ooh, Jesus. If I see church people being rude, oh my goodness, I lose my mind. Listen, you don't have to treat people like that. You don't have to be, you don't have to, we can be nice. Continuing on. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. You say, well, I just can't help. I have a bad temper. No, you don't have love is what you don't have. 
Because love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, I wish you could be in some of those council appointments. Dear God. Oh, pastor. Oh, let me tell you. On, in eight, 1989, he did this. And then 1989 of September, he did this. And I'm like, do you love him? Well, I don't know because, you know, he, uh, it keeps no record of wrong. Continuing on. It's not, uh, it, 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 love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. That's why when someone says, you know, I love God but I love perversion too, that's a lie. Why? Because love does not delight in evil, doesn't enjoy it, doesn't enjoy it. In fact, just the opposite, it delights in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. So if a brother comes to you and says, hey, man, I think you just need to be careful when you do such and such, and you get extended real easy, you don't delight in truth. You don't love your brother. You don't love the Lord. That's pride and arrogance standing in the way, which I have plenty of, and I'm still, Lord, deliver me. Jesus, I don't want to be like that. Continuing on in verse 7, it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Look what it says. Love never. One more time. Love never. It cannot fail. It's the bedrock. It is the foundational piece for us to do life together. Is that I love you. And so I'm going to be patient with you as you still work out your sexuality. I'm going to be patient with you as you still learn how to be nice. I, I'm not going to keep record of wrong the last time you did what you did to me. I'm going to, that's under the blood. I love you, and we're going to do this thing together. I'm, I'm not going to be rude to you, even though I want to punch you in the nose right now. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I love you. Because it's the bedrock of conflict resolution. He says, listen, they will know that we're Christians. They'll know that you follow me because of our love one for another. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's the golden rule. That's the piece right there that's foundational. It always works. Listen, no one one illustrates this better than a mom with a baby. It's amazing to me how that mama will love that baby. That mama will let that, that, you know what that baby has done to that mama? That baby has destroyed her body. That baby has destroyed her sanity, waking up all in the night. Fellas, let's see you do that for a little bit. See if you don't go crazy. They call it postpartum for some people. That's just having a kid is what that is. Just, just I mean, it, it, it destroyed destroy their, their, many times their, uh, you know, their uh, journey that they're on uh, with, their, with their education. or with, uh, That baby destroys that, but they love that child. Unbelievable. But it makes no sense to me that you would call that love. But yeah, I mean, you, ladies, you would never let your coworker do that. You'd never let them destroy your body and say, I love you. You'd never let them keep you up late at night. This kind of love is what God's talking about that we're supposed to have for one another. We're supposed to love each other. It is the base premise. And I, I love this a lot of times what we deal with here in the church is that people want to be high justice. Really, it's not high justice. What it is is high judgment. And there's a difference, right? right well, I just, I can't help you. I got, I got to stand for rightness. Yeah, as you stand in judgment of that person because you somehow are the supreme being of what is right and therefore have judged them as inappropriate. Whereas love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, it doesn't keep any record of wrong. It never fails. And so the starting point for us to get through conflict resolution is to love. When we went into the series, when the Lord spoke, to this, spoke this to me, I was so excited because I knew that we want to be a church. We don't want to be a church that has big buildings and have big television broadcasts and write books and all that. We just want to, I just want to, I want to grow old with some people who do great things for God. I just want to love some people, and I know that we've got to go through conflict to get to that. I know we've got to bond, but we can't bond until we go through conflict. And I know we can't get through conflict if we don't learn his supernatural principles. And so we're all on a journey to learn how to do it his way. And it's not going to be natural, and it's going to be awkward. Over the years, we've had so many conflicts. And because people won't do it God's way, they drag all of us pastors and leaders into it to try to get us to do it the way that they feel more comfortable with. And it never works. Because the premise is will you love? Will you love that person even if you don't like them? Will you love them the way God determined it? Here's the second big principle that we see in Scripture. You still with me? Say yes. You still love me? Yeah, you got quiet, so I wasn't sure. Number two, guiding principle is humility. Look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul calls himself, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In other words, hey, listen, since you're a Christian... You, you followed God. You've been called to himself. Then walk uprightly as a Christian. Be like a Christian supposed to be. You're supposed to look like one, act like one, smell like one. He says walk uprightly. And then he continues on to say how that's to be. And that is with all humility and gentleness. With patience, showing 
tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to persevere, uh, excuse me, preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He's saying, listen, you've got to walk in humility. I tell you what, all of our pride keeps us from having good conflict resolution. God says it like this, if you're really going to see the supernatural conflict resolution in kingdom business, then what you have to do is humble yourself. You've got to let down your pride. Why do you have to wait for them to say they're sorry first? Why couldn't you do that? Why do you have to prove your point instead of just letting it go? Here's a couple of thoughts. See, pride says you're not going to get one over on me. Humility says you can make a mistake with me. I'm big enough to handle it. Pride says I'm right, you're wrong. Humility says how about you just be right so that we can keep moving forward. Pride says, I will not be disrespected. Humility says, I'm secure in Jesus. It's okay. Let's just go on. Pride says, I'm going to get even with you for what you did to me. Humility says, I'm praying blessings over you. This was probably one of the hardest pieces in conflict resolution that I had to come to. I struggle with my own pride of being taken advantage of. My own insecurity. Insecurity really is rooted in pride. Walking in humility. I'll never forget in one of these scenarios that I was in charge of, um, there was a person that, that was brought in and asked to, to lead out on something. And I, I was against it. I told leadership, this person shouldn't do this. In the midst of them leading out, they blew it miserably. They were horrible. And I'm like, I tried to tell you. And it was my job to get up and remove them in that moment. And I couldn't wait for this moment to remove them. As I stepped up to remove them from that situation, the Spirit of the Lord told me, sit down. I said, what? This person's destroying this. The Lord said, I want to teach you what it is to be taken advantage of. Because real humility is you can take advantage of me. I'm secure in who I am. I'm secure in who Christ is in me. I don't have to prove that I'm better and prove that you were wrong. It was the hardest moment of my life. I refer to it all the time when I'm teaching pastors. And to protect the innocent, obviously I'm trying not to give too many details. But it it was something God was doing in me. Because the way I grew up, I fought for what was mine. Hallelujah. I I had to prove to everybody else. And and God had to deliver me from that so that I wouldn't live in a state of conflict. That I could move in the supernatural peace and unity that God desires for his people. So humility. Now, there's another phase of humility that, unfortunately, I have to say today in church. It's it's a dirty word. I know you don't want me to say it. I don't want to say it. Probably half the church, you're going to leave because of it. It's a six-letter dirty word. I am so sorry to say it. It's in his scriptures. I don't mean to say what he won't said, but he told me to. I'm so sorry. And that is, if we're going to walk in humility, there's this real dirty word. I am so sorry. I will repent in advance for you because I know it's going to make you mad. But it's the word Submit. I know, right? Ah, why? Feels so weird. There are multiple groupings of people that the Bible tells us to submit to. I'm only going to extract two, just just for sake of time, not because I devalue the other ones, and just because I don't think you can handle much more. If I could just be honest with this generation, the first one that I want to extract is submit to the authorities. You're not going to like this scripture, but it's his holy word and I have to read it. Romans 13.1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. You say, that can't be true, because I know God didn't put that satanic person in power. I'm going to tell you that right now. It actually says that he has. In fact, if you'll keep reading that, he says authorities, even when they're wrong... He'll deal with them. That's not your problem. But he continues in that passage and he says, he says um, you know what? If you'll submit to those authority, it shouldn't be a big deal for those of us who are believers because we don't rebel against right, uh, rightness anyway. But for those of you who rebel against rightness, that authority's been set in place to discipline you, to bring that out. Listen, I know. Listen, I, I, can, I, can, I have fought with God over this passage of Scripture over and over again because my whole thought is, I was high justice. I was high justice. How can they be in authority? They don't even do right. They're not acting right. They're causing all these problems. 
And it's in humility of submission to an imperfect person that God does something supernatural. It makes no sense. Because our way would be like, I'm not submitting to you because you're not good enough. You're not strong enough because you've got sin in your life, because you're wrong, because you're human, because you shouldn't be, you're not best person for this job. I'm the best person for this job. That would be our natural tendency. He says, submit to him. But you got to be kidding me. How in the world does that work? It's his supernatural plan. I told you it would, it would be awkward. I told you that his way of supernatural conflict resolution doesn't fit our natural tendencies. But that's why we have so much conflict in the church and in our marriages and our workplace because we don't do his principles that he laid out. Here's the second group that I would extract for you that we're called to submit to. Ooh, you're not going to like this one either. To one another. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's so fun to watch this sometimes here in the church, you know, because we got different personalities. We've got type A personalities. And uh, it's so funny to watch a type A personality run over to another person and say, hey, listen, I need you to go get this right now and do this right now. And that person's sitting there like, I don't know who you think you are. I'm a volunteer in this church. You don't tell me what to do. It's so funny to watch it. And then, the, and then that type A runs off, you know. It's so fun to watch that whole thing. And this person's struggle, do I submit to a person who's not in authority over me? Because it says submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. The reason why we don't get resolution in our conflict is because we don't do it his way. These are not my ways. I would not do it this way. I would teach you a whole other way. I would teach how you could destroy the person who's an idiot. I, that, that would be my, my whole makeup. I'm telling you right now. The, let the best make it to the top and everybody else are under our feet. Ah. That would be... My natural, <laughs> instead of his way. <laughs> and it's hard. I'm not, I didn't, I'm not saying that it's easy, but I know that there's supernatural power in it. I know that God's ways are higher than our ways, and we don't understand them. And so this is what his word says. Here's the third principle in his holy scriptures. And I don't know why churches don't preach this, but we should. And that is, number three, confrontation. Confrontation. Somehow we think that being humble and being in love means we don't confront. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. We're supposed to confront one another. Hey, brother, that hurt my feelings. Dude, what did you say there? What you posted? Did you mean me? When you put that on Facebook saying, oh, there's just some people in my small group. They go to movies, and I've never been invited to movies. So it's just... <laughs> this is real life, right? That's because this is a real Bible. With re- The creator knows how to fix us. Why do you keep bringing your Nissan over to the Buick dealership? He made us. He knows how to fix us. He knows how to make it work. And his principles work because they're his principles. And he is God. And we are not. And so as we trust him with his principles, supernatural things, it makes no sense. I can testify over each one of these principles. The moment I submitted and I did what God says to do in his work, supernatural things happen. I've been maneuvering. I've been getting a team against them, trying to protect my interest. And the moment I just did what he said, it all went away. It's unbelievable. So let me teach you the three pieces of confrontation. First off, when we have been wronged by someone else, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 18. Around here, you'll hear us say, did you do Matthew 18? Did you do the Matthew 18? Did you do Matthew 18? And the reason why is because Jesus himself lays out what we're supposed to do when someone's done us wrong. First and foremost, and talking about a brother within the body of Christ, your spouse, you know, co-worker. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and show. Would you say that with me? Go and show. One more time. Would you say it with me? Go and show. Go and show him his fault just between everyone on Facebook. Just between the two of you. Well, I had to get my prayer group to pray over it because I needed intercession. That's, that's why it's not working, because you're not doing what he said. Because you got your prayer group instead of doing what he said just between the two of you. And you tried to bring in some other principle and make it supersede what he said to do. And that's why, there's, that's why it's not working. And he says, and if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, let's just break that down. Go and show him his fault. In other words, go and show. Shut your mouth. Stop telling everybody else about it. Trying to, prove you're, trying to prove you're right, and go, not wait for them to come. Well, I, they should have known what they did. 
If they don't know, I can't help it. They're just bad people. That's not what he told you to do. He says, if your brother offends you, sins against you, go to them. You initiate. So I'm just not good at initiating stuff, and that's why you can't get through conflict. Yeah, it's awkward for you, but we've got to learn. And again, if I keep Paul up here for, for eight days, seven days, with his left hand, by the time we get back here next Sunday, he'll be magnificent. He'll make it almost every time. But you and I have to rise up and say, God, your ways are higher than our ways. I'll submit to it. I'll learn your way. Even though it's awkward, I might miss it a bunch. I'm trying to get this thing figured out. I tried it. I went to that one person, and it didn't go well, Pastor. It didn't go well. I tried to go. I tried to go and show, but when I started showing, it was no mo. I mean, it was bad. The go show ended up with no mo. So we got to fix So. So you and I have got to learn it. it it's not, it's not going to happen naturally because naturally it's to make them pay for it. Naturally is isolate you. You're dead to me. You're dead to me. That's naturally. But what's supernatural is to go and show him his fault or her fault. And again, this should be, this should be surrounded in love and humility because God lays it out like that first. So he lays out love as the, back, as, as the premise. Let me do it like this. Then he says build upon that with humility. Then you go for confrontation. And he lays it like that. So if you're confronting for the sake of confronting, that does not bring resolution. If you're confronting because you love, because you want resolution, because you want unity, because you're humbled yourself and say, I'm not even comfortable with this. And I, you may not even, I, I might be misunderstood. Trying, I don't want to be misunderstood, but at the same time, I love you too much to let there be this in our relationship. Our missionaries were in town this week, a couple of our missionaries. And we met with them for a couple hours. It was awesome. Your missions director, Miss Erica Bottle, magnificent. And just, you know, all, all the, the team that's praying for them. I was just, it was just awesome. When we went to leave, the missionary's wife said, hey, do you and Jamie, are y'all mad at us? I was like, uh, no. And she goes, well, you know, I've, I've been communicating over the months with Miss Jamie on Facebook. And... I hadn't heard anything the last few weeks, and I just, did I offend you? Did we do something? I said, oh, sweet love. Let me just explain to you, that is not the case. I'm so sorry you may have thought that. But let me just tell you, my wife, you have no idea what I have her doing around this church. And so as a result, she's kind of off of social media right now because she's getting more phone calls and more emails and more face-to-face meetings than she can keep up with. So it has nothing to do with her rejecting you or being mad at you. She goes, okay, good. I just want, I want to be sure. What did she do? She went to us. She brought that out. And guess what she got? Resolve. Oh, my goodness. No, we're so sorry. So sorry. You know, that was never the intent. But because we never go, we just assume. Mm-hmm. I can tell. See, I know people. I know what people are thinking. I've been through this before. My last church did this. Mm. The problem keeps coming back to you. So how about we learn his ways? Go. And then show them. Now, here's the part about showing them their fault. You can't show them gossip and slander. you got to be able to show something. It's like a legal term. It's like, it's like proof in a court of law. They're like, look, you did this. In January, on the 3rd, we were standing there, and you said this. Insinuations and maybe emotions, that, that doesn't help them. you got to be specific. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. He's specific. Satan condemns, tells us we're bad. We never know why. Holy Spirit convicts us on this day, at this time, you did this. And we're able to repent and move on, right? And so you've got to go and you've got to show. Then the Lord lays out for us, if you're still with me, he lays out for us, what are we supposed to do when we've offended someone else? So can I just, let me just ask you this. Have you ever been to one of these meetings, maybe here at Church on the Hill, where we're asking you, if someone's offended you, just forgive them right now. If you have hurt in your heart. And you know the person that comes up in your mind that's done you wrong? Maybe your stepdad back in the day, maybe your coworker. You know that image of that person that you have? If you've ever asked, do you have bitterness? No, but I do have somebody that I've wanted to murder in the times past. You know that, who that, that person that comes to your mind? Do you understand you are somebody else's person that comes to their mind? Did you get that? There's somebody out there, and they're with some pastor saying, just forgive them, and they're thinking about you right now. Okay, I'll forgive him. You, don't, it, it, you better get mature enough to realize that you're somebody else's point of offense. And so when the Bible says it like this, when we're before the Lord and he shows us that we've offended somebody, here's what he tells us to do. Here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile to them. 
Then come and offer your gift. Look what he's saying. He's like, you're in the middle of worshiping. You're loving God. You're out there helping the homeless people. Oh, man, you're in a prayer meeting in your small group. And all of a sudden, you, remember, you realize, I, I did that person wrong. Stop whatever you're doing right then and there. And he says again, go to them. Go to them. And he says, and be reconciled to them. Be re- offer your gift after you have made it right with your brother or your sister. Because, again, they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. The fact that we fought through conflict and we bonded. We fought through conflict, we bonded together, and now we're producing for Jesus. We're winning souls. We're making disciples. And we don't even have to try real hard. It's like, yeah, what we have, you want that, don't you? Because what's happened is the lost people are looking around. Who, who's not a racist? They're looking around. Who, who actually loves deeply? Who actually knows how to fight through some things and still love? Is there really a God of supernatural power? Because I can't keep my marriage together. Who, who, who has that? And when they see us having fought through some things and overcome some things and still loving each other and still got each other's back, even though, man, stop stabbing me i'm trying to protect you now, that's been my whole issue you know i, I feel a picture like military you know we're all, Charge! stop shoot them not me i'm on your team let's go yeah stop this way come on come on let's do it. and finally you just want to can you imagine being jesus i'd have been like ow pow i'm done zap Let's start over. Let's pick another group of people. I just, I just made them come from trees and stuff. I just created more people. But Jesus fought through to have a relationship with us, to bond with us. We have to do the same with each other. You still there? You still love me? And here's the goal of all confrontation. And this is where most people miss it in Christianity. Here's the goal of all confrontation. It's found right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. If someone has done you wrong, do not repay him with a wrong. Try to do what everyone considers to be good. So do it the way everybody in your church thinks. Hey, that's a better way. Do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. The goal is peace in the church. The goal is peace in the small group. Confrontation has to happen so we can have peace. You can't have peace if you say, Boy, every time he leaves worship, I'll be thinking, ooh, what he did in the parking lot. Every time she stands up, I just want to testify how good God's been and what he's done. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. They don't know you, you little hypocrite. I know you. So, so he's saying, he said, go fight through to get to that place of interaction, showing love. Listen, I have a hard time every time you testify because what you did last year, and we've never talked about it. I just want, I want to ask you to forgive me for having bitterness in my heart, and I want to point this out to you, what you've done. In confrontation, the Matthew 18 piece, I've only quoted the initial piece because the understanding is that the premise is that and then it'll cause your brother to repent and and make it right with you that's the premise but then it continues on and says but if your brother doesn't make it right with you then you go get two more people say listen i have this conflict with with bill and i don't know how to resolve it this is what he's done to me i'd like you to come with me so we can confront them two more and then you go and says, if he still doesn't repent, then you bring it to the church. You know what everybody keeps trying to do? Bring it to the pastor right away. Pastor, you need to fix so-and-so. Because, you know, they got all kinds of issues and they've hurt people. Have they hurt you? Well, they've hurt some people. People have been telling me. Who told you that? Who's gossiping and slander? Because according to Matthew chapter 18, they were supposed to go directly to them. But now they've gone to you, you've come to me, and you want me to fix it, and that's why it won't work, because you want me to do anti what Jesus said to do, against what he said. He said, you're supposed to go to them. They didn't offend me. I like them. They didn't do that to me. That's your experience. So according to Scripture, you're supposed to go to them, and if they don't repent, two or three, then if that still doesn't work, then you bring the church leadership involved. And this is why we broke, broke down. That's why church doesn't work. That's why people don't. See, do you know that 82% of Americans claim to be Christian? Only 4% are actual Christian. And 78% of those that claim to be Christian do not go to church. And they say the reason why they don't, because they love God, but they don't like the church. You know what they don't like? They don't like that we don't know how to resolve conflict. Conflict's inevitable. I'm mad at the church. That's stupid. That's the body of Christ. How are you going to be mad at the body of Christ? You're a part of it. That's like your left, your, your left hand going, I don't like the right hand. I don't like you either. Let's separate. I mean, it's just stupid. 
We're together. We're the body. We've got to learn how to conflict resolution. You still with me? You still love me? Say yes. Come on. All right, let's move to the last one. And that is the last big principle in Scripture is forgiveness. Y'all got real quiet on me because I'm teaching you stuff you don't like. I'm so sorry. I'm learning it with you. We're all going to get better at it. Forgiveness. Look at Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. <laughs> this is such a tough Scripture. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. What did he say to do if your brother sins? What is that to do? Right. Well, you can't do that if they're not your brother. Right? You can't rebuke somebody you don't have a relationship with. Right? So this isn't just, I saw some dude and I just rebuked him. Hallelujah. Well, you don't know that person. That person can say, you don't know me. Shut up. Right? So, so the premise is love. The premise is bonding. And as a result of that, if he seems sin, rebuke him. Then continuing on. And if he repents, what do we do? Forgive him. And if he sins against you, how many times? Seven times a day. And returns to you seven times. I'm so sorry, I repent. He tells us to do what? Forget. That's Jesus talking. That's not even an apostle. That's Jesus talking, man. In fact, I love what he did with Peter. And then he says, oh, 70 times seven. Peter and him are like, what? If he sins against me, he doesn't. 70 times seven. I got to keep forgiving him? Yes. Why? Because he was trying to teach the premise, the backdrop. The bedrock, excuse me, of this whole thing is love for one another. It's amazing how much grace we have for people we love. Oh, it's hilarious to me to watch people in the church get in conflict with each other. Oh, but someone that they're real close with, that they love dearly, do the same thing. And they, well, listen, they're just going through something right now, and they just, we need to have some grace on them. It's amazing when we actually love one another how much grace we can have each other. It, we give grace. It's the same thing he's given us. And that's why the Bible says forgive, knowing that Christ has forgiven us. The grace that's been bestowed upon us, we need to continue to give that out. And I would challenge you this when it comes to forgiveness. Let me give you a couple thoughts as a pastor. Some of you are asking your spouse to forgive you. Well, they can't, they probably have forgiven you in their heart. They just don't trust you yet because you cheated on them last year or two years ago. And so you're asking, do what the preacher said, forgive me. And they're saying, "Mm, do what the word of God says and rebuild trust with me. Like, I still don't know where you go Friday during the day. And so forgiveness is what we're asked to do. But again, the premise is that there's been confrontation. I can't ask you to forgive someone that you haven't had confrontation with. And I think that's a bad teaching. We see people, just forgive them. Hallelujah, just forgive them. No, no, you've got to first have confrontation so that you can have some attempt at resolve. And then if resolve's not working, then you release it to the Lord. So, Lord, I forgive them. That don't mean we're going to be best friends, but I forgive them. I'm not going to talk evil about them. I'm not going to hurt them. I'm not going to stretch out against them. And So we didn't start with forgiveness in conflict resolution. He starts with love. Then he moves from love to humility, and then he moves from humility to confrontation. Then he moves to forgiveness. And so a lot of times people skip number three, confrontation, and people are challenged by leadership to go straight to forgiveness. And you're saying, I, I, how am I going to do that? How am I going to forgive them? You were molested, you were raped, you were taken advantage of. You can't just let that go and just somehow I'm just never going to think about it again. Even if you just write an email, even if you just send them a letter, I release you from the sin you committed against me when you molested me as a child. That confrontation brings resolution. Confrontation is critical. Some of you say, I just don't like confrontation. I know, it's awkward. But because you don't like it, you're going to be one of the best people at it. The ones who scare me is like, I like it. I like confrontation. In fact, I create confrontation. Uh, the type A's, you scare the fool out of me because we got to spank you really good to get you to surrender and submit and get you to humble yourself. And so what I teach you in this forgiveness is that especially those who need to be forgiven by someone else, you got to go back to what he said in Matthew 5, and that is realize that you should go and reconcile with them. So he uses the word reconcile very generally And there's no specifics like, so do I crawl on my knees? Do I give them all my money? I mean, what does that look like? And he uses it with a big broad term called reconciliation to give you the freedom to be led by the Holy Spirit for what the need is. That's why it's there. That you have the ability to hear from the Holy Spirit that lives and abides in you as a Christian on how to reconcile with your brother and your sister. If you'll humble yourself and if you'll walk in love. See, you cannot have reconciliation if you won't Walk in love and humble yourself. If you're walking in pride and you're walking in anger, 
then there will be no real confrontation that will bring any kind of real, real resolve. So the premise of confrontation, as it's listed as the third thing in this whole process, is first there's love and there's humility. Then we can have confrontation. Then we can have forgiveness. And the last piece in forgiveness, there's a goal in this whole thing called forgiveness. It's found in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Be tolerant with one another and forgive one another. Whenever any of you has a complaint against someone else, you must forgive one another as, Christ, excuse me, as the Lord has forgiven you. And to all these qualities add love, which bonds, bonds all, binds all things together in perfect unity. See, the goal of these conflict resolution pieces is that we can walk in unity. Because together, nothing can stop us. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us when we live it out together. Living out together is difficult because of our own humanity. So we have to learn conflict resolution the supernatural way and not the natural way. And that's why the natural way hasn't worked for you in your marriage. It hasn't worked for you in your church life, in your business world, because you keep trying to do it the natural way because of some book that you read, some person that trained you back in the day at the last business that you were at. Instead of learning to do it God's supernatural way. It is humbling. It is out of love. It is conflict, res- confrontation, excuse me, in a way that God would do it, not in the way you and I would naturally do it. And then it's forgiveness, even when we don't get the resolve that we wanted, to release it and move on with God, that we may have unity. Would you stand with me all across the room? Hope this has helped you today. You got awfully quiet, so that either means that I offended you or that you're just really learning. So I'm going to choose to believe the second one. There you go. <laughs> Jesus said it like this about his word, that it is, he's a stumbling block for those who basically refuse to humble themselves. If you just bow your head right where you're at, close your eyes, let me minister to you for just a moment. I laid out the four things that we see prevalent in scripture for conflict resolution. If we're going to do life together, we're going to have conflict. If we're going to do life together and have conflict, then we need supernatural resolution. If we're going to do life together, have conflict, and have supernatural resolution, then we have to obey his principles that he's put into place. Yes, they will be awkward. Yes, it, yes, it may feel like it didn't work the first four times you tried to throw that ball left-handed through that hole. But I promise you, as you stay the course, as you stay the course with your wife, as you stay the course with your husband, as you stay the course with, with the body of believers, as you stay the course to keep loving them, to keep humbling yourself, To keep having godly confrontation. To keep forgiving. As you stay the course on that, at some point, it's going to break loose supernaturally. It won't even make sense. People will say, how can you do that? How can you forgive that person after what they've done? And you'll be able to say, it's supernatural. It's supernatural what God's been able to do. They'll say, how how do you have conflict resolution so quickly? It's because I love them. And because I've learned to humble myself and not have to be right. I just want peace. I just want peace. That's the goal of confrontation is peace goal of forgiveness is unity father in the name of Jesus I pray that every man and woman in our church would do life together that we'd learn how to do it right Lord we recognize we're not perfect at it now I'm going to go through these four pieces and when I get to the one that you say I really need help with that I want you to pray that out right where you're at when I get to love you say I really struggle to love people I really struggle to believe the best, hopes the best. I really struggle to be patient and kind with people who are idiots. Then what you want to do in that moment is say, Lord, help me. Help me to love the way you love. Then we'll go to the next one and the next one until we finish all four. Let's start with love. If you're struggling to be a person who loves, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just go ahead and ask the Lord for help. Father, we come before you. We recognize, Lord God, that we're imperfect in our love, but yet your love is perfect, and that perfect love cast out all fear. God, we're asking you to help us love the way you love. Lord, we need the bedrock of love to even do life with one another. Lord, we need that, that understanding of what it is to be patient and kind and gentle and not keep record of wrong. It goes against our natural tendency. Jesus, we're asking you for help. In the, help us to be a lover the way you love us, the way you don't keep record of our wrong, the way you take our sin and throw it as far as the east is from the west, the way you love us deeply and intimately, and you always believe the best, and you're always picking us up when we mess up, and when we stab you in the back and go and sin, you still turn around and you embrace us. Lord, help us to love like you love. Lord, the second category, the second one was humility. If you struggle, you struggle with pride to submit, you, you have a hard time with that, you're struggling to even, um, to even you know, uh, believe the best in others because of your pride and arrogance, I want you right now to ask God for help. Father, we just come before you. 
And Lord, when it comes to our pride, we ask you to teach us how to be humble. You humbled yourself and you took on the cross. You came as the servant of all. Your word says you came not to be served, but to serve. And Jesus, we don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that that well. And Lord, I want to get better and better. So I need your help, oh God. Lord, help us to submit to one another, even in perfect people, Lord. Even in marriage, oh God. Even in working in the community, Lord God, of the job that we have. Father, I pray right now that you would help us submit to authority in perfect people. Lord, in perfect people, Lord God, that have been given positions of authority. God, help us. Help us to trust you in that. Help us to trust you, Lord God, that you are in control of all things and all peoples and that you will correct authority when they're wrong. It's not my job. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Now let's go to the third one. If you've really struggled with confrontation, you don't know how to do it well. In fact, every time you start into it, you feel like it gets worse than it gets better. And it's because maybe you didn't do it the Jesus way. And that is to go to them first and foremost, just the two of you. And then, and then from there, if there's no resolve and it's still horrible, then take two or three witnesses and go and, 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 and interact with that. If you haven't done it his way, then that's part of the problem. If you haven't been, you've been too arrogant to listen to the fact that you've hurt other people and you've never gone and initiated, hey, I just want you to know, I said something the other day, I think that might have hurt your feelings. Would you, would, would you forgive me on that? I didn't mean that. I was just being dumb and... If you've struggled with confrontation the Jesus way, can we just pray over that right now? Father, in Jesus' name, we need your help when it comes to confronting and rebuking and correcting one another and loving one another. Lord, our tendency is to have to get ourselves so uh, amped up to be able to even go make that confrontation that it doesn't come across in love. It doesn't come across in humility. So help us, Jesus. Help us to be the church. Help us to love one another so deeply that we won't let offenses and misunderstandings continue. Lord, help us to be mature enough to stop dragging everybody else into it and just go and do what you said to do, to do Matthew 18. Father, I pray right now that Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 will become a point of reference in this church that everyone knows and everyone lives by because it's your command. And then, Lord, this last area, when it comes to forgiveness, Lord, some of us so struggle to forgive. Lord God, I pray right now that we would be people of forgiveness. If you struggle with forgiveness, I want you right now to just ask the Lord's help in that. Father, I pray right now that you'd help us to forgive. Your word says, how can we expect you to forgive us our sins when we haven't forgiven those who've sinned against us. That's your Matthew 5 passage. Jesus, I pray right now that we would be a church that walks in forgiveness, that we'd be a church that walks in love, that we'd be a church that walks and lives in humility, and that we'd be a church that godly confronts one another and has communication that actually brings life and not death, that we might have peace and that we might have unity. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? I've gone a little longer today. This was a a lot of information and teaching to get you in one meeting. But I feel very strongly today that if you and I will obey his teachings, we'll see his supernatural results. Now, if you're in this place today, you say, Pastor, I gotta be honest. I'm not a Christian. I'm pretty sure if I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. Friend, don't leave this place like that. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but life happened. I've walked away from God. I'm separated. I'm divorced. I don't have a relationship with God anymore. I don't have Jesus as my, the chief voice in my heart and my mind. Friend, I've been there. It's a miserable place. In fact, I want to offer you the opportunity to come back to God today. Or if you've never been a Christian, I want to offer you the opportunity to start a relationship with Him today. You say, oh, that's awesome. So what do I do? Well, here's the beauty. He did it all. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. He paid forward every sin. He paid for every sin you'll ever commit. I say it like this. There's an account with your name, specialized with your name on it. Every sin you've ever committed and every sin you'll ever commit is already prepaid for. Jesus had the power to do that 2,000 years ago. Ooh, that's awesome. How do I access that account? Well, the Bible says it like this. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's how you access that account. Basically, what you're saying is, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'm going to serve you. I want to love you. I want to make you the the, the king of my world, the center of my world. So today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, i got to be honest. I'm not a Christian. Or, Pastor, I'm away from God. I want to come home. I want to come back. I'm tired of living like this. I want to be a Christian. I want to serve God with all my heart. Would you let me pray with you? This is private. This is deep. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to make a spectacle of this moment. But I need to know who I'm praying for. And I need to know who I'm praying with. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, say, Pastor, that's me, it's time. 
I'm ready to serve God. I'm ready to be a Christian. I'm ready to come home. If that's you, would you just quickly slip slip your hand up in the air? Say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I want to be sure that I don't leave this place lost. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sweet love. Anybody else? Three or four more seconds. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. Awesome. Amazing people. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You can put your hand back down. Make sure I see it. Just wave it at me and then put it back down. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. A couple more seconds. i got to move on, but I just, God bless you. I just want to be sure that you have this moment with God. I want, to, I, want to, I want to lead you into a great relationship with Him. Amen. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Again, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And, and, and I don't think there's anything magical about the words we're about to pray. I think what's supernatural is you said, I want God. All these words are going to do is connect you relationally. They're going to be a seal of a decision that you're already making in your heart. And I want you to pray it with all of your heart, with all sincerity. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with those who lifted their hand. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I recognize I've sinned against you. But today I repent. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross for me. And today I declare Jesus is my Lord. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand and prayed that prayer for the first time or came back to you. I pray right now they would feel the peace of God. They don't have to perform for you. They don't have to give money to the church to be a Christian. They're forever in your arms because they cried out for help and you now respond. May the joy of knowing that they know if they were out in a car accident today and were immediately killed, that they would be embraced by you at the pearly gates. You would hold them in your arms and wipe away every tear. Say, you're mine forever. May that confidence ring out here and now. And may they know that they know that they know that nothing can separate them from your love. And Jesus, may they go in peace today. And Lord, they're going to learn. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to fall into sin and repent. And you're going to carry them through it. Because we're going to grow in you. And I pray that you would surround them with good Christian friends. Get them in small group life. They may continue to grow. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.